Often a good customer experience is mindset, building an environment around the team that the customer is the most important thing. And then everything else kind of happens because of that. Small Business Talk is a podcast for business owners and entrepreneurs who want a better way to run their businesses without spending years doing it the hard way. Small Business Talk is hosted by Kathy Smith, who has run the same marketing agency for more than 17 years and helped hundreds of business owners achieve their marketing goals. Welcome to Small Business Talk. Today, my special guest is Bill, and Bill's going to tell us who he is and why he's here and why you should be listening to this episode of Small Business Talk. Thank you very much for having me, and it's um, it's great to be on. Well, my name is Bill Nicolazakis, and it's difficult to pronounce surname, so no hate on I'm not trying there, Kathy. Not most people get it horribly wrong anyway. So, no, but my, my background is in entrepreneurship. I'm a I've started several businesses when I was 25. I started, I think, my third business. First two weren't massive successes, but the third one I sold to to an ASX listed company, and then I went in and, and CEO, eventually group CEO, and then some other C level sort of marketing and sales roles in corporate businesses, but then. Uh, about a year ago, moved back to uh, what I feel most comfortable in, which is small business land. And I started a, a consultancy business, which I'm running now called Levels Growth Consultants. And the whole idea behind Levels was to make enterprise level strategy and execution accessible to small businesses. So mixing that small business knowledge with some of the things that we've learned at corporate and, and the best of both worlds are bringing them together to try and make more efficient businesses that can grow quicker and sustainably. And that's something that we don't realize often is we can learn a lot from corporate, but being in small business, we're pretty nimble and we can interact and make things happen very quickly. So our topic today is how to improve customer experience for repeat and referral business. We all like to to look for the shiny objects, but as they say, the money is in the list and generally that is your current customers. So looking after them makes such a difference. So it's going to be a great topic today. Where do you want to start, Bill? Well, I think the premise, I guess, is probably the best place to start. The idea behind you know this, I guess, discussion and what we'll do a lot of my keynotes, so this, this is probably my most top popular topic that I talk about to small businesses you know, you don't have a, an unlimited marketing budget. Some small businesses don't have a marketing budget at all in terms of advertising costs and, you know, paying for advertisements, whether that's digital or otherwise. And a lot of us spend a lot of time and energy thinking about how we can get our next client, but probably not enough time and energy thinking about how can we get more from our current clients. And when I say more, yes, it is, you know, this term that we use sometimes called share of wallet. How can we get more of their money they spend to come to us for a, for a service. Um, but also, how can we get there next time they buy our product or service? How can we make sure that they're going to use us? And how can we make sure that we pro- that we create these promoter clients that are out there in the marketplace telling other people about us and encouraged by us, of course, as methodology towards that. Um, but in, in speaking to the general market about us and then promote a client that's bringing more and more business in. You know, the small businesses that are successful are the ones that have their phone ringing and uh, and if there's a client that they sold a product or service to two years ago that referred, you know, someone they know. That's the lifeblood of a good, successful small business. And there's ways to build a customer experience that promotes that kind of behavior from clients. Yes, totally agree. Having those advocates makes such a difference and having people say, oh, yes, I used you 10 years ago or five years ago, or like you say, my mate recommended me. 
And um, yeah, he was a client at some point. I think particularly the gym industry does this really wrong. So we can really learn from what they do and do the opposite because they're always chasing the new client, whereas they don't look after the existing client. So making sure that we are looking after them, turning them into advocates, and then giving them opportunities to spread the word is such a great idea. So what tips would you give small business owners to start on this journey? So the first thing I always talk about when I talk about customers, because if, if you ever talk to a small business owner, Kat, they, they're all going to say, I provide a great service, right? No one's going to say <laughs> what I do is not great. Um, and, and you know, that may well be true that they're providing a good level of service, um, but there's a difference between good service and really great service that's going to create these promoter clients are going to be screaming it from the rooftops, right? Um, and well, the first thing I say is think about how you deliver your service, let's call it a service, whether it's part of the service, how you deliver your service. And instead of thinking about what do you need to do to get a sale across the line, think about how the customer might want to experience that process. And I think about it, but one of my one of my clients that I was speaking to recently was a mortgage broker. And there's a very specific type of service that doesn't happen very often. It might happen once every four or five years, right? Whatever it might be. When, when we're thinking about it as a mortgage broker, let's think about the process, right? First of all, you've got to find someone that needs a mortgage. Okay. So I've got to do some kind of marketing activity. Then I've got to meet with them and I've got to sign an application form if they like what I do and they're going to sign that application form. Then I've got to take that to the bank, lodge it. Then I've got to get the paperwork and then I've got to settle the, the loan and then I get paid my money, right? That's my process as a mortgage broker. But what's the process for a client that needs a mortgage? First of all, they don't want to deal with a broker or a banker at all. They have to because they're buying a house, but they don't want to, right? Uh, if they if they could if they could buy a house without one, they'd do that. Um, so for them, it's about okay, how can I make this the most simple process possible to get me what I actually want, which is to move into my home, right? That's the most important thing. And then you think about it from their perspective, and our, the mortgage broker's journey ends when settlement occurs and they get that money paid from the bank. The client's experience doesn't actually finish at the settlement of the property. That's when they get the keys, but then they've got to get all the boxes, move them in, get the kids' room set up, make the beds, do all the whatever you've got to do. And they're really settled. Their process finishes when those boxes are packed, everyone's in, and they're settled in the home. So when you're thinking about your experience, do you, as a mortgage broker in this instance, customer service effectively finish at the settlement, or does it finish X amount of days post-settlement when you know that the trucks move their, their possessions in and they're going to be comfortable and, and, and happy at that time. When do you actually ask them whether they enjoyed that service? When do you actually ask them if they've got any other referrals? So there's timing is really, really important in this. And this can go through, you know, delivering of a car, gym, the gym scenario, all of those are the same, right? There's a difference between how you see the experience as a provider of that service or product and how the buyer sees. And it's always putting yourself in their shoes and then experiencing it from their shoes to say, okay, well, that's how I'm going to deliver my service now in a way that they want to receive it rather than in a way that gets me my sale or my payment or whatever it might be. That's the main part of it. Yeah, I was at a conference recently and a lady was talking about her experience of having a Tesla delivered. And she was saying that the service was incredible right up to delivery. So they'd sent videos, they'd given instructions on how to drive the car, where to pick it up, the whole bit, got to where you had to pick it up and it was just like ordering at McDonald's. You went up and you got your key, you got told that it was down the lot wherever 
and you literally walked down, picked it up, and that was the end. For them, Tesla had stopped their service even before the customer had picked it up. If you had asked that lady right there and then to give a a rave review, there's no way she would have. And this was quite a few weeks afterwards, and she was still talking about that experience, about basically being let down right at the very end. And that's what we tend to do is we ask our customers for those rave reviews right at the wrong moment. Yeah, and I'm going to steal this quote. I remember exactly who said it, someone famous, but say that people don't remember what you did. They remember how you made them feel. And that's a really important part of how you're building your experience out. And and even further to that, you think about that Tesla experience, of course, the end of the process has weight, weighs much heavier on how they feel you you did for them rather than the rest of it. Part of it is expectation. So I always say that the mathematical equation to a good, uh, an amazing customer experience is, you know, service is greater than expectation. Um, I'll give you an example. Let's just say you're a gym owner, right? And you, you've worked with before and you called the gym and you have to wait 20 minutes for someone to answer the phone horrible experience but if you called Telstra or Qantas and you waited 20 minutes you probably think that's a win right because <laughs> you're I mean that's not a good thing to have that expectation but the expectation versus what you expect versus what you delivered is two very very different things so you know setting that expectation up front you know in Tesla scenario what I would have done and what I said well even even if they did want to provide that level of service at the end which you wouldn't want to of course you want to do much more than that but let's just say you were going to do that then setting that expectation up front you know right at the start saying hey at the end when you come to pick up your car what's going to happen is you're going to come to the lot we're going to give you a key you know just setting that expectation up front so when the client doesn't come in and they're expecting you know last time they bought a car they got given a bottle of wine and a hamper and a, a big song and dance about delivery of the car now they just got a set of keys, right? It's a very, very different experience. Having that expectation up front is really important for that to work. And I'll finish this off this, this thought with the story, if that's okay. Yes. Um, I was the chief revenue officer of a, a big technology company called PropTech Group, ASX listed. And we effectively had a number of different brands under the one group. And they had these fantastic products. And just to give you an idea about how it worked is we had this uh, software products where we've built this this one product where all the other products linked into it and made it really easy for real estate agents to use all their software out of one system, right? It was sold to real estate agent. So it was all good and well. We provided this amazing service and people loved it. We made a product. However, what happened is once we built this product where everything could link into each other and it could all work out of one system, we then had like five or four different salespeople going out to the same sales agent, telling them about all these other products that link together. Um, and you got all these different people. It just felt like we were pushing products down the throat of our client and all these different people going in. Yeah, it was integrated, but they're all selling their own product or service with that system. And, and you know, we're doing quite well at that point, um, even using that system. But what we did is we made a really, really difficult decision. And let me tell you, it wasn't easy to get this approved board level, let alone the CEO and let alone all the owners of the individual brands that we brought together. Um, we said to them that from now on, they're going to cease all sales and marketing. And we're going to bring all the sales and marketing into the central company prop tech group. And instead of going to our clients as, as four different people, salespeople, four different products trying to push products in their throat, we went to them as their, as their technology provider. And we said to them, how do you use your technology now? And we can then help them improve the way they use the technology by integrating all the solutions with these different products. So it wasn't pushing products down their throat. It was going to them first. Hey, how can we help you? What can make your life better? And then 
hopefully finding solutions within our network that we could fix those with. And it, and a big part of that was going back and understanding them and understanding what they actually wanted from us. We learned that by people being not happy, um, but there's better ways to do it um, than that as well. So finding that solution around, yes, we want to maximize revenue, right? Every business is here to make money and that's fantastic and you should, you should that should be your goal. But the best way to make money long-term is to do it with happy clients, especially in small business. Um, and to do that, you have to understand exactly what they want and what they need um, as, an, as an industry or as a cohort within that industry. You know, uh, in that mortgage broker scenario, maybe your client is self-employed people that have had the business for less than two years, right? Or that's your, your, your main client cohort. Well, what do they want to see compared to maybe a, a mum and dad property investor, right? They might want something totally different. So really understanding your main client cohort, who they are, what they do, and then building out a base service or, or an offering that's going to actually fit them really closely so that you're providing, like I said, this amazing experience for them. Absolutely. And I think you hit the nail on the head there, in particular with communication, is making sure that you're communicating what your expectations are and what the client's expectations are. So that, like you say, when you get to the end of the process, it's not a surprise. And the same with your software there is having four or five different people come and sell you similar sort of things that all link in is a disconnect because people don't understand the fact that it's all one big company. So having that communication, making it really clear of the services that you do offer, of the other services that you can offer, but all in one nice little neat package that helps them to be able to then promote you once again. Yeah, and in terms of communication, we always talk about, you know, understanding again who your customer is. So if you're, you know, let's go back to this mortgage broker scenario. If your customer is a tradie, and that's your main client base or that's the current customer you're working with, you're not going to email them with an urgent request at 11 o'clock in the morning, right? Because you know they're not checking their emails at the absolute earliest once they knock off at three or four o'clock or whatever it is, right? Um, if your client is a surgeon, you don't want to be blowing up his phone with 100 phone calls um, during the day when he's probably in surgery, right? So those two types of clients are going to have different, very different delivery of information, You, know, the way you should deliver that information. And this is how deeply you need to think about it if you want to create an outstanding customer experience that's going to create raving fans, they're going to scream you from the rooftop and you're going to get repeat and referral business, right? It's not meant to be easy. Once you build a process and a system that works, then it should all just work as easily as you do it now. But there's got to be some thought in it. You know, I've said to small business owners, you know, part of your, it's really easy to get caught in the weeds, you know, delivering your service, being a gym owner, being a, you know, a mortgage broker, whatever it might be. But you need to put some time aside, you know, and time blocking is a really big one. Put that time aside in your week or in your month or whatever it might be to work that on the business bit. You know, how can we improve the business rather than just, you're turning your wheels and trying to do more mortgages or sell more gym memberships. And the customer experience should be a big part of that. How can we improve it? And to improve it, you know, a lot of the stuff that we just talked about might sound a little bit complicated. And yes, there is some prep work to put it together. But once it's done, it should be really, really simple for you to say, okay, I've got this type of client. This is how I'm going to deal with them. It's going to be text messages when I need something, not phone calls. It's going to be, you know, emails to their accountant rather than to them funny financials because I know they're not going to be, uh, they're not going to know where to get those financials from. Or, so so just understanding that really well 
I'll run a, a, little, a little a little story that I heard. Um, I actually read it in a book. Again, I don't remember the name of the book, but it talks about the difference between good and amazing customer service. And probably heard of the Ritz Carlton hotels, right? Um, yeah. They're a Dell brand. They're like global brand, and they just come to Australia and they're amazing. It's it, it's the principle is called the point and escort principle, and it goes like this. Let's just say you walked into a five star hotel, any five star hotel. And you went up to someone that works there and you said to them, hey, can you please tell me where the pool is? And the person would be lovely to you. And they say, Kathy, no problem at all, more than happy to help. So what you've got to do is you've got to walk through the doors here, go around the gym, back around the other side of the building, turn left, and then you'll see the pool. If you can't find anything, just find another person and they'll help you out. We're more than happy to help, you know. So great. They're really lovely and they've given me what I need. That's the point principle. Escort principle is what Ritz-Carlton does, and it's a very different experience. So what you do is you they're trained, everyone in Ritz-Carlton is trained to this. So if you walk up to someone at Ritz-Carlton, you say to them, can you please tell me where the pool is? Same scenario. They'll say, Kathy, no problem at all. Follow me. And they'll walk you through the doors. They'll walk you around the gym. They'll walk you to the pool area. They'll buzz you in, open the door, and they say, have a great day at the pool. The hotels are there, right? Good service was what the other five-star hotel did. They were lovely, told you what you needed to know answered your solution, delivered the service that you needed to deliver. But that is what the next level of service does. And think about, you know, the first one is kind of what you expect. If it's a five-star hotel, you better get good service, right? You're paying a lot of money. But the Ritz-Carlton is providing that next level, you know, above expectation. Um, you know, you wouldn't expect them to walk in. That's 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 almost too much, you know. Um, you wouldn't expect that, but that's what you've got to do if you want to create a service level that's above expectation. Absolutely. And that um, comes out of Jay Barber's book. And I think it's called Talkability or is it Talk Triggers? Something like that. So yeah. look it up. There's lots of great examples in there. Perfect. Yeah, I should, I should write down the name of these books. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an avid reader, Kathy. So sometimes I forget where I remember these stories from, which book. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and yeah, there's also another one about a different hotel there where they have cookies and you walk in and you can smell the cookies. So that becomes then the the next expectation. And that's the little things that we can do in our businesses as well, particularly touching on phones, because a lot of people won't answer the phone call if they don't know the number. So texting is quite often a far better way to get people's attention. And then also they've got that option to call back whenever they're ready, as opposed to you interrupting their day. And it's interesting how much we rely on our phones, but we still see them as an interruption. Working out how your customer would like to be contacted. And quite often it's a case of asking them, how would you like to be contacted? So that simple question can make such a difference. Definitely. And how you like to be contacted is important. Also, you know, providing them with that expectation up front about how the service is going to be delivered. Your creating value rather than making it look worse. And I'll give you an example again. I got a mortgage, you know, it was about six months, a year ago now. And um, it was a friend of mine, but even if it wasn't, um, the scenario would be the same. He came and saw me and we talked about the products and he found one that was most suitable to me. It was great, great pros. And as soon as he got my application from me, he handed me over to the girl in his office who was absolute gun with all the banks, right? She knew everyone there. She called and she made sure things got done really quickly, way better than he could have. Now, he didn't tell me he was going to hand it over, but I knew them all, right? So um, he didn't tell me he was going to hand me over to her. And the experience was way better because of her, right? It was. However, 
if I was Joe Blow, he didn't know that person, and he just handed me over to the lady in his office after he got my application. So it feels like he signed me up and then he just handballed me across, right? It's a pretty, pretty crappy experience, but really he's actually helping me and he knows that she's way better at that part of it. But all that needed to happen was to say, thank you for your application. I'm now going to hand you over to, forget the girl's name, let's call her Jenny. Jenny's going to help you with everything now because she knows all the banks, right? So just creating that is actually lifting up the service level rather than thinking it's going to be even worse. And and a lot of the times that's what it is. You know, we, we know we're going to create, we're doing the right thing for the client a lot of the times. And, and like I said, you know, it's not what you do. It's how you make me feel. That's important. And in that scenario, maybe if I didn't know how good Jenny was, was that what she did? Maybe I'd feel like he was just getting rid of me, you know, because um, he had signed me up, you know, he got my money effectively. And then, so, you know, just setting that expectation up. Uh, the next part of this whole customer experience is, okay, so um, you've now built this great process. Um, and then in small business, I'm a real massive believer that everybody in the business should be servicing the client or servicing somebody that does. Right. We don't need, if there's 10 people in an office, you don't need middle management. So everyone's servicing the customer or servicing a person that was, and the customer needs to be the focus. Yes. You know, everything that we do is needs to be how, how is this going to affect the client experience? So really just having that, that building that culture and that mindset within the business. And often a good customer experience is mindset, you know, building an environment around the team that the customer is the most important thing. And then everything else kind of happens because of that. If your values are around good customer experience, you're going to hire people that are going to want to provide a good customer experience because that's what your values are. You know, if you talk about your customer service metrics at your at your meetings, not how many, not just how many sales you did, that's going to become more important. You know, so your, your team's going to focus on what's important to you and what's important to the business. And if you make that a big part of it, then that's what will happen. And this is really true and evident in one of the. So I'm a, I'm a co-founder as well of a digital law firm called Bond Conveyancing. We did conveyancing and property law across Australia. That business is we, we launched a year ago this month. Yeah, and in, in the recent National Law Awards, uh, we were voted one of the fastest growing law firms in Australia. Um, and I can tell you that at the once a month, I attend the conveyancing meetings. To the whole the whole property law and conveyancing teams all come to a meeting, and once a month, I talk about our results. And before I talk about how many settlements we did and how much revenue we did, I talk about our customer experience, and we measure it very very closely. So I talk about, we use net promoter score. You don't have to, but that's what we use. Um, so I'll talk about our net promoter score mon- number for the month. And then we talk about how much it increased or decreased compared to next month and how much, comp- how it compares, should I say, to the industry benchmark. So it's really important to us. And then we go back and we say, how many Google reviews did we get this month? How many were positive? How many were negative? And, and so forth. So we really spend time on that. And that's where we focus. And we, you know, when we talk about the conveyancing team, we make it very, very clear. They're the service delivery. They're the people that actually talk to the clients and they're face-to-face. You've got nothing to do with how many sales we make, how much revenue we make. All we need you to focus on, we need you to focus 100% on providing the absolute best client experience possible because that's going to help us get more and more clients. Really, it's all about with them. That's all we focus on. You know, We do tell them about the other stuff too is we talk about the client experience, the NPS and the promoter score and the Google reviews, and we'll even bring some of them up. You know, we'll some we usually will bring one or two of the conveyances that got the most that month and, and talk them up in the meeting, and we focus on it. And by doing it that way, we've proven in real terms, and I, I love doing this because I've started a new business a year ago and I've implemented all this stuff, and we, it's happening now in real time. Um, but we've got a net promoter score that's 160% or 170% above the industry benchmark. 
So we're at plus 86. The industry benchmarks at plus 31 for net promoter score, which is a way you, the best methodology I've seen to see what your, your clients really feel about you. And if people haven't, don't know what net promoter score is, I, I very highly recommend you go out and have a look at it. There's very, very high chance you've actually completed this question several times for different companies. Absolutely. And touching on the Google reviews, that's a really good external validation of your customer service, whether it's good or bad, and just seeing what people are writing. If they're writing, great job. Well, that's all right. But if they're writing a whole paragraph and they're saying how fantastic Jenny was and that Jenny really helped out and she made everything smooth, but looking into what they're actually saying can make such a difference. And don't shy away from the negative ones because that can actually show you a spotlight on an area that perhaps needs some attention. If you get one every now and again, then maybe it's just somebody disgruntled. But if you're getting the same kind of things over and over, hopefully you've stopped it or had a look at it before that becomes a big issue. It's, it's such a good point, Kathy, because one of the things that we do, our general manager of that business that runs a day-to-day and it's Rella Rice, very invested in the customer experience. But if we get a net promoter, so a net promoter score works in a way where it is one to 10, nine and 10 is a promoter, seven to eight is passive, and one to six is detractors. They're people that didn't like the service. That's how those numbers work. If anyone gives us a one to six, no matter where they are located, who they are, Morella calls them herself, and we run a process. The process is First of all, acknowledge. So we apologize that you didn't feel like we provided a good level of service. Doesn't actually matter what we did, remember? It's how they make them feel. So we, we apologize. We try and find out exactly what happened and what went wrong. And we do two things. First of all, we try and make good. So if there's anything that we can do to fix that problem or make them feel better about it, great. But then said the last thing is the most important thing is we're learning now about what we can improve in our service. And it might be that we didn't actually do anything wrong, but we just didn't communicate what we did properly. Or maybe we did do something wrong and we need to fix it. So understanding what that is and improving it, you know, everything in business is a work in progress, right? Nothing's that it's like growth mindset, right? Nothing's a finished article. So I don't care how good your customer experience is now, can always be better. So, you know, just continue to try and learn. And if you're really customer focused, and you have this mentality that you want to provide this amazing customer experience, you will always be looking to for ways to improve. Um, and, you know, that's a big part of it is how do we get not only the happy clients to give us, to promote us and talk about that in a second, but more importantly, how do we get the, the unhappy clients and find out what went wrong to fix it? Absolutely. And I think it is that communication piece in the the whole lot because, Like you said, if you weren't told that you were being handed over to somebody else or you weren't told that this particular part of the puzzle looks like this, then that can actually be where the the mismatch happens and the negative feeling. It's not that they did a bad job. It's just that they weren't expecting that to happen and most people don't like surprise and change. So making sure that they are aware of what is going to happen can make such a difference and even when you are doing it for the right reasons and for the customer and giving them great customer service if you're not communicating that that's quite often where things go wrong goes back to that equation you know um service delivery is greater than expectation uh you know it's that it's that it's that part of it there um and then you know if you don't mind kathy now talk about you know, talk about what happens with unhappy clients but we have a process for the happy ones too so we are Pretty persistent with NPS. I think we over the over the sort of the the period um, after they after they settle and, and 
we give them some time to move into the home and that kind of thing. Um, we send the MPS, uh, uh, unless they fill it out in the first try, we send three different emails and a text message after that. So we try pretty hard to get everyone to fill out an MPS if we can, not everyone does still. But if somebody fills out a nine or 10, or let's, let's say one or six, so, so one to six, the detractors, what happens is they click one, two, three, four, five, six, and a thing pops up and it says, we are so sorry that the service didn't come up to your expectations. Our general manager, Morella Rice, will give you a call within the next 24 hours to find out. So that's what comes up. The, the passives, if you give us a seven or eight, it'll say, thank you so much for your, for your um, response. Have a great day and you're happier with your house. That makes exactly what it says. But if you give us a nine or a 10, that means you're a promoter. So these are the people now we want to nurture and we want them to go out to the marketplace and tell everyone about how great we were. So first of all, hopefully they'll just do that naturally, you know, and we'll get that call six months later, which we do a lot of already. But also we're going to try and use our um, abilities to, to get more out of them and try and get more into business. So, so the first thing we do is we say, it pops up and it says, thank you so much for your fantastic feedback. We're so happy that you're happy with that service. If you don't mind, would you like leaving us a Google review? Would you like to leave us a Google review? And there's a little link there. They click that button and it goes straight into the Google review platform. They can click five stars, write a comment. So now what we've done is we've found out who's going to be really happy. We're building that social proof out in the marketplace. And then we're going to be smart enough to use that social proof in different ways. So um, the let's say it was a real estate agent that referred that client to us. We're going to also let that real estate agent know about all the clients that were happy with us this month to make sure that they continue to refer business to us in the future. Um, if it's another client that referred that person to us, they would say, thank you very much for referring Kathy to us. She loved the experience. Here's her five-star Google review. Um, now, you know, this might seem like really a lot of work, and but it's actually not that difficult to automate this kind of stuff. Um, you know, everyone, it, it, it's much, much easier than you think. You don't have to have this big technology background to be able to do it. And you can automate a lot of this stuff and it'll just create Google reviews without you even trying. Um, and then you can link them back to who gave it to you and the like, um, you know, somewhat manually. Or if you, if you do like us, you can automate that whole process. But really getting the most out of your promoters um, is really super critical to getting that repeat and referral business over time. Because, you know, one thing we didn't talk about is why do you want repeat and referral business? Well, it comes at zero cost and at zero risk, right? So, First of all, you don't have to go out there and spend money on the lead. So let's just say in my scenario, um, I had to go and spend money talking to real estate agents and then maybe paying them a fee to refer a client. Like imagine I had to run that process instead of having this amazing customer experience that the reason now um, they want to refer to us is because they they know the client's going to be looked after really well um, and they're going to get you know a better and easier settlement. Nothing's going to go wrong and then they're going to get their real estate commission at the end of it much more simply, right? So that's, that's the kind of... Um, process you want to build and by doing by providing that that ridiculously good ex customer experience you're more likely to build that experience absolutely and we all like to deal with people we know like and trust so if we don't know them personally by getting that referral from a trusted person then that trust is transferred so like you say having the real estate agent know that that service is going to work well they know that you're supporting their clients so their clients are going to be happy and more likely to refer back to the real estate agent as well. So having that basically supply chain makes it so much easier for us all to do business. And what's the first thing that we do when we're looking for something? We talk to our friends and we get on socials. And having those social proof 
is how we do business these days. So making sure that we are looking after our current clients, giving them extra things, because there's nothing worse when you're talking to your client and they go, oh, yeah, I've just bought and it's a service that you provide, but they didn't actually know that you had provided it. So it gets back to that education, communication again, is letting them know of different things that you provide so that you are top of mind when they do need that next service. Yeah, it's, it's really just about understanding who your customer is and who you serve, you know. And um, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story about um, something that happened recently. Uh, um, a friend of mine bought a property in Yarraville in Melbourne, um, Australia. And pretty much every real estate agent in that area, there's four or five of them, sent her a hamper saying, congratulations. Even the ones that didn't sell her the property, they sent her like a little hamper saying, it must be like a sales tactic. Yeah, congratulations on your new purchase. We hope you love the home. Anything you need in the future, please let us know, right? Whatever it might be. Um, and it was quite funny because there must be a company that's really good at providing hamper services in that area because everyone sent her the same hamper, the exact same one. Oh, wow. So just different branding, right? There's different branding, but she got the same yeah. bottle of wine, the same chocolates, the same whatever, right? Yeah. And it was just, she said she really appreciated it. She goes, it was amazing that everyone did that, by the way. Um, really appreciate it. Um, but I, it just made me think, imagine if they took the time to really know their customer and they knew that she loved musicals. Right. And instead of getting her a hundred dollar hamper, they got her a hundred dollar ticket tech voucher to, um, to, to book a, book a, book her next musical. And they wrote that on a card. You know, we know you love musicals. Here's a hundred dollars towards your next musical or, or even better buying her a couple of tickets to a musical if it was the same price or whatever it might be. Um, you know, and that, that can be, you know, that can be anything. You know, if you know someone loves, um, the football, you know, buying them tickets to the next big game, the football or whatever it might be is much more has a lot more value to it than, you know, everyone, everyone I'm sure appreciates the hamper, but it's that point in escort, right? They appreciate the hamper, but they would love it if you, um, if you, uh, um, if you got them that hamper and if you got them those tickets. And, you know, these days, Kathy, it's, there's no excuse not to know our customers, right? Social media, you know, I could tell, I could tell anyone anything they needed to know about someone in about half an hour, right? If I just spent all 10 minutes, if I spent searching a few social media platforms. So, um, you know, there's there's no reason why we can't know our customers really deeply and then going that extra mile um, to understand them. Absolutely. Um, and especially in that situation where you got five of the same thing. And imagine if that lady was allergic to chocolates or she didn't drink wine. So now she's got five lots of hampers that she personally can't use and nobody stands out. They all look exactly the same now. So even the real estate agent that did the good job has now been lumped in with everything else. And, yeah, it's an interesting sales tactic, but I think it's also a little bit creepy. So <laughs> sending something to somebody when you weren't involved um, and particularly something like houses where you're probably not going to buy another one for a couple of years. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I'd yeah. be in employing that one personally, but <laughs> each to your own. It was an interesting tactic. Um, but, you know, and, and that goes, um, you know, knowing your customer doesn't just go for the end user, right? Um, and, you know, a bond conveyancing, this this law firm that we built, we built a digital product around it. And the first thing you do when you build any digital product is you interview all the key stakeholders in the transaction. So before we built the software, we went and spoke to a bunch of buyers and sellers of real estate. We spoke to the property developers and then we said, okay, we got all the feedback from them about how to build a better platform to make their experience better. And then we said, well, who else is important in a property settlement transaction? So we thought, oh, yeah, the, the bank and mortgage broker, 
um, and the real estate agent. They're really heavily involved in that process. So we started interviewing them as well and saying, how can we make that process better for them? And what we quickly found was, yes, we could improve the customer experience for buyers, sellers, and property developers. We could. We could make it better. But making that better would make an impact to their life, but not a huge impact, right? They're probably buying a house every five, seven years. You know, um, a bit of a worse process doesn't actually rock their world too badly, although they would like it to be better. So we knew we could improve that. But really where we could move the needle actually in the whole customer experience was that by providing, we, we what we learned was that the, the real estate agents and the mortgage brokers especially, they were not loved at all in the process. Nobody kept them up to date. Nobody told them what was happening. And for them, what it meant was that they had to always tell, ask the client, hey, have you heard from your lawyer um, about what's happening? And it just provided a worse experience for the customer because the broker wasn't, or the, more, or the real estate agent wasn't ahead of what was happening. So by simply providing um, uh, a service where the agent and the bro- mortgage broker and the client are all updated in real time with important updates, you know, we've given them a, a portal to log into where they can see all their clients in one screen. They can download documents, do do really basic stuff that would make the experience better. Not only have we made the mortgage broker and the real estate agent happier, who in turn, by the way, send us like 90% of our clients. So they're pretty important. Um, but also we're now providing them with the information that they need to provide a better, better experience to the customer. So maybe the conveyancing process, by improving the conveyancing process itself, doesn't really change the life of the of the buyer or the seller that much. It makes it a little bit easier. By providing better communication to the mortgage broker, real estate agent, it actually improves it much more, especially to the mortgage broker, because they're so pivotal in the settlement happening on time and 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 you know having making sure that they've got the right information. So by by providing a better level of service to the you know the mortgage broker and the real estate agent, we're actually in turn the overall experience for the buyer has become a lot better as well. And it serves the purpose of us now being able to get more business from uh, repeat and referral business from the uh, mortgage broker and real estate agents as well. So, you know, a lot of us think we work in a B2C, a business to consumer world, um, you know, and a conveyancing, if you asked me before I went through that process, I would have said, yeah, conveyancing is business to consumer. Of course it is. But really it's not. It's business to business to consumer. And that middle business is the real estate agent and mortgage broker and the only way we really learned that, and in hindsight, it sounds pretty like simple, but it wasn't at the time. I, I can tell you, I never thought of it like that until I actually interviewed a bunch of them and they told me how crappy the service was typically from a, from a lawyer, right? And how, how much of an afterthought they were to all the lawyers that they dealt with. So just improving that experience, we, to improve that experience, we had to understand what our model was and who our customer was, who our customers were. And our customers just weren't the people that were buying our product. It was also those people too. Yeah, I think that's a really important point because quite often we think of our customer as the end user, but quite often it can be the person that is in the middle or sometimes it can be our customer's customer. So if we're supplying a a service to a particular um, customer, which may be a business, and then they're on selling it or they're using it as part of their other offering, then having that smoother can also then make it better for their customer, which means that they in turn will repeat buy from our customer, which means that they will repeat buy from us. So, yeah, getting really clear on who the key stakeholders are in the transaction and particularly in that example, having a look at those ones that are on what might seem on the periphery to begin with 
and they're actually the key to whether your business is going to thrive or survive or just be mediocre and you're going to be changing those shiny objects forever in a day. So this has yeah. been a great discussion, Bill. Is there anything that um, we should have said that we haven't? No, I think I think that's I think that's it. I guess um, just from my perspective, you know, coming from corporate world and uh, most of my life in small business, um, what I've learned is that you know, in small business, uh, pound for pound, I feel like the talent's better. Um, but, but there is some talent in in corporate world where it's very specific. Like one person's worked in demand generation marketing for 30 years. And as business owners, we don't have that luxury of, of being so focused. So they're, so they're probably better at that one thing. And, um, and one thing I've learned in corporate is that, you know, by creating this amazing customer experience, we, and it, it relates even further into small business. You know, we can create these sustainable businesses that are going to give us what we need over the long term, lower marketing costs, lower cost of acquisition for clients, lower risk. And then, of course, better experience, which means, you know, better client experience doesn't just mean more business and more. It means lower cost to serve, which, again, is probably not a word, not a terminology that's used a lot in small business. But every client you sell a product or service to, there's a cost to serve them. And if you provide a really good service, then it's going to cost you less to serve them because there's going to be less complaints, less issues, less putting out fires. So, so yeah, there's a whole reason, gamut of reasons why you should provide a great customer experience. Um, a lot of them are personal. You want to provide a good service because clients, you want your clients to be happy. Um, but a lot of them are financial, lower cost to serve, more revenue, lower, lower risk. So all the, all the reasons to do it, um, point to just putting some time and effort and energy into working on your business and on that customer experience. Absolutely. And sometimes great customer service is just consistent. It doesn't have to be five star. It doesn't have to be top of the waza. But having the same thing every time they turn up can be your point of difference. And it's where the fast food chains do it so well. Their food is absolutely revolting, but you know that that's what you're going to get every time. So that makes it consistent and comforting to a lot of people. So sometimes you don't have to aim for the stars. You just need to be able to do the same thing day in, day out when they recommend somebody to you that they're going to get the same kind of service that the original person got and not those spikes because that can be a really horrific experience if you've recommended somebody and the service has been really, really bad or it's been sensational and then the next time it's not. So consistency can be a huge thing there. Great. So, Bill, at this stage of the podcast, I get to ask you five questions. Are you game? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. What's the best advice given to you by a mentor? Um, okay. Um, employees are paid to do their job, but they volunteer their best. Nice. It's a big part of it. I think about that all the time when I'm running a business or when I'm managing teams. Um, you know, you pay them to do the job, they rock up the time, but you're the highest, the best performers are volunteering their best. Lovely. I like that. What is the biggest help you have received since starting your business? The biggest help I've received. I think I'll, I think I'll, I'll go back a couple of businesses if that's okay. And early on in my career, um, somebody always said to me, um, somebody said to me, it's proven to be true, that whenever you're building a new business, half what you think you're going to make and double the expenses um, and you're going to be about right. Um, so that, that I've always worked sort of to that to that level and um, and I think that's some good advice. You know, that's probably exaggerating it a little bit, but especially when you get really good at modelling, but certainly there's things going to come up that you just cannot foresee 
and likely not everything's going to go as smoothly as you think in terms of new business. Indeed, particularly when we're talking about small businesses, all sorts of things crop up that you're not aiming for or not looking out for, and sometimes they can provide opportunities that you never thought were possible. So yeah. uh, amazing. And what is your non-negotiable, the one thing you have to do every day? Every day? Um Spend okay, so uh, the one non negotiable is to actually take time away from work uh, every three or four hours. So, um, whether that's uh, I try and time in my morning coffee, um, where I've got to walk to the cafe, which is a 10 15 minute round trip, but I try and do that every day, and then I try and do something with the kids in the afternoon. But I, uh, if I don't take a break every three to four hours, I'm, I'm just not productive at all. So, no, it's different for everyone, but um, for me, that's that's non negotiable for me. Okay, great. What is your favourite business book and why? Um, I've got a couple, but I think I think my favourite one is um, is a funny one actually. It's called "Screw It, Let's Do It" um, by Richard Branson, and it was one of the first books I read as an early twenties something um, year old. That it's it's a tiny read; it's probably three or four hours or five hours to read the whole book, um, and it's just super inspirational. And and Richard Branson's, um, I just he he made me love business because I always saw business as his cutthroat you know, out to get you type of people, you know, um, when I was younger, especially. Um, and, and there is that element even now when I'm older, but um, there is actually some really lovely, good people that try to do the right thing in business. And, you know, and you can make Richard Branson made billions of dollars running businesses that way. And it really gave me that, that um, desire to build a business like that. And it got me excited about business. Um, so that's the book. And, and I've reread it. I, I don't know how many times, but I, every few years I'll pick it up on the shelf and I'll reread it again. Excellent. And what is the one thing that you wished you had known when you started out? That being nice and doing the right thing are often not the same thing or sometimes not the same thing, right? Um, you know, being nice to an employee might be not telling them they've done something wrong. Doing the right thing is really nicely and with positively telling them what they've done wrong and offering them ways to improve it, if that makes sense. So, you know, I think I was Try to be, you know, going after this Richard Branson book, trying to be too nice rather than doing the right thing. And you can do the right thing. You know, there's hard the conversations nicely, but, it, you know, it might not be a comfortable conversation. Um, but there, if you want to improve yourself, your business and that person, often the difficult conversations are really valuable. Indeed. And sometimes that can help stop causing greater issues for that person because they may not realise that what they're doing is causing the effect that it is and by making them aware sometimes that can really help change their life as well fantastic thank you bill if people would like to get in contact you or know more about you where do they go yeah they can go to levelsgc.com or they can go to my instagram billnico10 and um, i put lots of content up on there um, you know, whether they're, we sort of, we provide services to all small businesses all the way from your sort of medium size, small to medium size, larger businesses. We've got consulting services. We've got, um, executive leadership coaching for those, you know, smaller businesses that have got a little bit of history to them. And then we provide, um, group coaching services in our, in our, um, uh, for the smaller businesses, maybe that they can't afford coaching or, or that want to be around other like-minded businesses in a, in a format where they still get a coach as well. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for your wisdom and being part of Small Business Talk. Thanks for having me, Cathy. Cheers. SPT community, remember, enjoy your journey. 
Don't forget to subscribe to Small Business Talk Podcast and head on over to smallbusinesstalk.com.au. Remember, to be great, you must start. Pick one tip from today's episode, take action and implement it. Let's meet again next week at the same time and place. Until then, take action. And SBT community, enjoy your journey.